Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Imperfection Wins Show. I'm your host, Sam Willing, executive coach and speaker, and I have a passion for helping people make positive, transformational changes to their businesses and themselves and break through roadblocks to live their best lives. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Imperfection Wins Show, everyone. I'm your host, Sam Willing, and I'm so glad you're here. Today is a very special day. Um, And also a little bit of a sad day. Today marks the end of season two for the Imperfection Wins show. And also it marks my last day as a radio show. Um, I will be coming back in season three, but as solely as a podcast. And so before we kick things off today, I just want to say, I want to hold a moment of gratitude for Benny. Benny, you have been such a light to work with and I've learned so much and I'm so grateful. It's been so fun um, and I've loved every minute of it. So thank you so much for all that you do behind the scenes to make everything keep working. Oh, well, you are quite welcome. I'm here for you whenever and it's a joy to have you on the air with us at KKNW for all these uh, last or actually last few weeks and uh, months and we wish you well for your season three and more, right? Thank you, thank you. Yeah, sure. So good. Um, Okay, so today I'm so excited because we have a great show planned as sort of our grand finale. And my guest today is Deidre Harris. And Deidre and I have known each other for a couple of months now. We actually met during COVID. I'll tell you that story in a few minutes. But Deidre is an educational consultant and she helps administrators with training policies and procedures to help them reduce challenging behaviors in the classroom. So very fascinating work. And then she also is in the team building space and does a lot around team building and conflict resolution among teaching teams. Really unique space, really necessary space. And so it is with great pleasure that I introduce you to Deidre Harris. Deidre, welcome. Thanks, Sam. I'm so appreciative that you asked me to come on to the show, and I'm pretty excited about today as well. So. Oh, good. Well, we're going to have fun. And but before yes. we jump in, Deidre, I know I literally just scratched the surface on your background. So will you just tell everyone just a little bit about you, just personally and professionally? Sure. So um, personally, gosh, I'm a wife of for about what we're hitting 33 years now. So that's fantastic. A a mother of two grown children and two fur babies. And I currently live in Stockton, California, where we moved, um, well, we actually just moved here a couple of weeks ago, but previous to that, it was Sacramento. And uh, we moved to Sacramento after 20 years of living in Hawaii. And so we're just navigating being back here on the mainland. We still call it the mainland and and figuring things out over here because there's quite a bit difference between being in the um, continental U.S. and being on an island in the middle of the Pacific. So that's been my, my personal life, really crazy over the last year or so with the moves. And um, my professional life, you, you actually did a really good job. You, you pretty much summed it up. I've been in the field of early childhood education, which means I work with the babies right from birth to about six years of age. And I've been a teacher. I've been a preschool director. I've 
managed training. Um, I've worked in childcare and referral services. And currently I work as a consultant and I go in. And like you mentioned earlier, primarily my focus has been on helping programs reduce challenging behaviors in the classroom. And so, you know, whenever you talk with teachers, that's always one of the, the number one things that come up for them in terms of tools and strategies to help support our children, especially because so many of them are coming in with trauma nowadays. And so that's really impacting the um, educational world. And then in addition to that, or I should say alongside of that, What's been remarkable is that whether I was there to, you know, to work on um, helping develop policies and procedures and training to put in place around challenging behavior or any of the other work that I do with um, teams and with programs in terms of looking at data and how they could use data to help them perform more effectively and efficiently, teaming has always come up whether it was in the classroom or whether it was across classrooms or whether it was, you know, with um, directors or program administrators and from colleague to colleague, everywhere I've always gone. And I admit it for myself, even with my own, you know, teaching team and, uh, and my own preschool sites, teaming has always been an issue. And so, whenever I would jump into a different conversation, it would always get redirected to, well, but what about, and, and we have these conflicts here, and how can we get to a, a better place? And so over the last year, I've actually started to shift my focus to primarily, again, the, the challenging behaviors, but also um, with challenging behaviors with and among adults, uh, you know, across the, the classrooms and our educational programs. And that kind of lands me to where I am today and then, you know, how you and I met earlier. I, and that was such a, um, that was such a fun opportunity for me. So I'll just tell everyone, you know, so as Deirdre just mentioned, she does a lot and she uses the term teaming a lot, which I actually, Deirdre, I've been in the space for so long, but this is the first time I've really heard the term teaming and I love it. It's such a great, great term. And just for our listener, listeners, will you just quickly define what you mean when you say teaming? Sure. So there's a difference between being part of a group and being part of a team, right? So you can have people in the same room um, in next to each other doing work, um, but that doesn't make them a team. It just means that they're, they're working, you know, side by side some, with someone, as opposed to being a part of a team where there's an expectation and a commitment to all driving toward the same goals or the same um, achievements. And so we've all been a part of teams in our life to you know different degrees. And like you said, it's a matter of how we look at it and how we define it. But what I'm finding is that a lot of people who think they're teams actually are working as a part of a group. And so it's helped bring in a raise, uh, raise awareness around, like you said, that term teaming, really, what does it mean? And what does a really high functioning or high performing team look like um, either on their own, again, within your own family unit, you can think of that as a team or professionally when you're at work and with your colleagues. That's so interesting. And, and one of the things that I'm thinking about as you're talking is just how 
like really this um, concept of teaming versus just side-by-side work really could apply to a lot of different areas of your life, not just the workplace. And I'm thinking about, you just mentioned the family unit. I'm just thinking about like, definitely there are times because of life circumstances and responsibilities or commitments where I think it can feel as a family that you are functioning more siloed or sort of side by side. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I like the idea of thinking about it and kind of always circling back to this term teaming and asking like, how are we functioning? Are we actually in deep relationship with each other or are we just sort of operating side by side? So that's a really, I think that's a really helpful perspective. Absolutely. And I love that you talked about being um, being in a deep relationship, because when we're talking about, again, um, being part of a really high functioning team, again, whether you think of your family unit as a team or not. And if you were to think about your family unit, it's like, how do I want my family to be? How do I want us to be together? How do we want to be, as you said, in relationship with each other? What are the goals that we have that are um, that we can strive for together as a unit, knowing and respecting that each of us within that unit are also going to have individual goals, too? So how could we even support each other on on that level? So there's so much um, complexity and nuances to team and it does, it applies in all areas of our life and we get to decide to what degree we want to be a part of a unit. That's, and what role would you say, so one of the the words that keeps coming up for me while you're talking is the word authenticity. Mm. What role would you say authenticity plays in being able to be an effective team or develop those deep connections? Um, it plays a huge role. So I love your podcast because you talk about imperfection and literally loving us that we are perfect in our imperfections. That's actually accepting and being authentic, saying, hey, this is me in, in my full glory, the good, the bad, and the, and the in-between, because we all have characteristics of everything on that continuum. So when you talk about authenticity, you really ask yourself the question of how do I, how do I want to show up? How do I want to show up in the world, within my family, within uh, my workplace? And if I am truly showing up, uh, imperfections and all, then I'm actually stepping into being authentic, which comes with it vulnerability. And so I know that many of your viewers out there know Brene Brown. And so she talks a lot about vulnerability, which is a big aspect of being authentic. It's, It's being willing to say, hey, this is who I am. And, um, I guess having enough of a, I, for lack of a better word, a, a hard shell around rejection, knowing that you are not going to be liked or loved by everyone and being okay with that, as long as you're staying respectful to those other people. That is really, I mean, that rejection piece and the vulnerability piece is hard. And I, I think it's, um, well, actually I should say it feels hard because in theory, 
it should feel more simple, right? For us to actually, it should, it should feel less exhausting for us to show up as our real selves than to show up as someone we're not. Um, but it is always amazing to me how challenging being vulnerable or showing up really authentically can be. And I have found that a lot of that difficulty for people is around this um, idea of imperfection. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things I've been thinking about a lot, particularly with a lot of the things going on in our world right now, um, which is, you know, one of the things I coach employees on a lot is we all have complete control about how we show up every day to work, right? Like we get to choose the energy that we bring into any given situation. And so being responsible for our own energy, for the energy that we're putting out, showing up as our whole selves, allowing people to see us clearly and really know us. Um, I think the further I get into this work, and I know it's so much of the work that you do, I really find that just being willing and accountable to show up and how you show up makes a huge difference. You, okay. So why you were saying that I was writing down a whole bunch of things because um, so many things came into my mind. I was like, let me, let me capture this. So um, what was great about what you just said was that really talking about um, being willing, right? So that's that willingness to, to step into those uncomfortable conversations, even around ourselves. Um, and reflecting um, about our own behavior. And again, how do we want to be in the world? And just like you said, you know, in coaching your employees and your clients around what that looks like for them. And the other piece you said, which is huge to being authentic, is also the accountability piece. And you're saying that, you know, this is a struggle for us. And, um, and in my personal opinion, the reason I think it's such a struggle is for many of us, uh, we tend to be in this world of, and our world reflects that back to us, of being victims, right? So it's always this idea of something's being done to me. Um, I just went through this situation or so-and-so said this to me or about me or so-and-so did this. And again, as you look out into the world and, and jump into the politics, it goes back and forth, right? And on both sides of the, of the aisle, there's always victimhood. And when you bring that back to being authentic, then you are saying, hey, not only am I willing to risk, right, and be vulnerable to show up, I am also going to hold myself accountable for the way I show up. And you and I have, have talked about this a lot in our conversations because you know I love the term and I heard it recently is live in the impact, not the intention. And when we do that, we're actually stepping into a space of not only of who we are, but how we are and how it can impact those around us. And that's huge. It's huge. I, I mean, I have to say that's something that I talk with a lot of with leaders about when I'm coaching leaders. And I think about it for myself too, because it can be really hard 
to hold yourself accountable for the impact that you have on others, especially if you were well-intended and you end up inadvertently hurting someone. Mm -hmm. Um, But I always am talking to leaders about how like intention at the end of the day doesn't really matter. You can process that on your own, but when you're, you know, so just so everyone knows, I had the opportunity to be interviewed by Deidre for a really amazing leadership summit that she puts together. And I want you to talk a little bit about that, the other things you focus on in the summit, but we, my focus was really on um, imperfection and how it shows up in the workplace and, you know, compassionate leadership. And one of the things that we got into was what an effective apology looks like and what are Mm -hmm. the components. And I loved that conversation because it's exactly what you're saying. It is not about the intention that you had for the other person. It is actually about the impact. And until you can actually realize the impact and take accountability for the impact, you're not going to be able to form that deep connection. Right. And so um, in terms of jumping back to when you and I met, and and again, it was an incredible interview. Thank you so much, because it was so helpful. As part of that interview, it was um, intended to be part of a larger virtual summit that I had done around reducing common conflicts in the classroom along among uh, teaching teams. And during that virtual summit, literally had 12 interviews and 12 days of, of summit, where we talked about everything from reducing conflict by being proactive and developing this positive workplace, right? So when you talk about, again, how do you want to show up as a leader, whether you're an administrative leader or whether you're in a classroom, you're still a leader. So that's one thing that we talk about is everyone's a leader in one way, shape or form. And so what does that um, entail? What are the the responsibilities that come along with that? But we also then talked about putting agreements in place. And and that's totally what the whole summit was about is being um, upfront and transparent about those agreements, breaking things apart so that everyone knows what the expectations are, who's doing what, where, when, how, and why. So we're putting everyone on the same page because often we enter into a relationship with a lot of assumptions and um, cultural assumptions that we don't even know we have. So just starting to open up and share and talk about that and then literally documenting those agreements so you have something to go back and refer to because we often make agreements with ourselves, other people, all the time verbally, but it's not until we document them that they become real because it's so easy for us to forget about them, get the details mixed up, or for some of us, you know, if I make an intention for myself, like I'm going to lose weight and then don't write it down or say to anybody, it's easy for me to break them right, whether intentional or not. And then the last part of that summit, we did a lot around conflict resolution and some strategies around, um, again, what do you do when you're in conflict? What do you do when you're in conflict with several people, right, you triangulation? And then what do you do when you're in the wrong? And that's when our interview came up. How do you give a really good, sincere authentic apology and what are the characteristics or aspects of that 
So my viewers love that. And again, I really appreciate that conversation with you. Oh, it was so fun for me. And I do believe that the effect of apology, as you know, like knowing really how to do it is a total healer for relationships. I mean, it's really amazing what can come out of it. And I actually, so let's take a quick break, Deidre. And when we come back, I want to talk about the culture cards, because I think that that's such a cool concept that you created. Okay. I want you to tell everyone about them, the intent and how you used them. Um, but first, let's take a really quick break. You are listening to the Imperfection Wins Show on KKNW 1150, and we'll be right back. Okay, everyone, I want to talk about one of my favorite local small businesses, Plant Life Meals. Plant Life Meals serves fresh, never frozen, delicious, and ready-to-eat plant-based meals to our community. I've been ordering from them for about six weeks now, and I'm telling you, the food is great. And it's been so helpful for me to have a healthy, high-protein meal ready to go for lunch or really any meal. My favorite has to be the lasagna and those little protein bites are the perfect treat to keep my sweet tooth tamed. And did you know that eating more plant-based foods is one of the best ways we can have a positive impact on the environment? The owners, Liz and David, are building this business straight from their hearts and making a big impact on our community, one meal at a time. Please go check out plantlifemeals.com and try it out. You will feel great, not only about what you're putting in your body and how you're helping our community, but also what you're doing for our environment. So let's help the small business rise up during this time of struggle. Again, that's plantlifemeals.com. This show is sponsored by Urban Restoration, the Eastside's premier builder for remodeling, new construction, and so much more. With over 20 years of experience, the team at Urban Restoration has built a foundation of integrity, trust, superior craftsmanship, and personal accountability to clients. Whether you're building a new home, doing a total home remodel, or even a small project, the experienced team at Urban Restoration will walk you through the process and leave you with the results you desire. Client satisfaction and relationships rule at Urban Restoration. If you are located on the Greater East Side and looking for a contractor you can trust, visit the Urban Restoration website at ur-build.com. That's the letter U, the letter R-build.com for contact information and to check out pictures of their amazing craftsmanship. Again, that's the letter U, the letter R-build.com for Urban Restoration. Alternative Talk 1150. It's good for what ails you. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. Welcome back to the Imperfection Wins Show. I'm your host, Sam Willing, and I'm here with Deidre Harris today, educational consultant and trainer. We're having such a great conversation. And Deidre, one of the things I really wanted to talk about today is you sent me these culture cards that you created to facilitate conversation. And so will you just talk about the cards what they're all about, the intention behind them, um, and then maybe some some uh, things that you've noticed of use as you've been using them with teams. Sure, um, and they actually came about organically, meaning you know, like most of our work, where I was um, doing training and having conversation with programs around implicit bias and uh, and disproportionality and during the conversation it's it 
was very clear how uncomfortable many people are. Um, and for those of us who do work in that world and have these type of conversations often, we can forget about that. But it can be very uncomfortable depending on our own lives and how we've grown up and whether it was okay to even talk about race or culture or not. And so I created this set of cards with just very simple um, topics to ease everyone into the conversation of culture, meaning my culture versus your culture. And the term out there right now for it is cultural humility, right? Which is very different than cultural competency. It, it really helps us reflect on our own culture and bring it up and make ourselves aware of it on a very day-to-day basis so that when we come in conversation and interactions with others, we have an idea of how our culture or our lens is impacting that conversation or that interaction. And so the cards, uh, when I say simple topics, um, they're everything from hair, uh, right? Which you would not believe, but there are so many cultural aspects to hair that we don't think about that are just invisible. But once you start talking about it and the nuances around hair within our cultures, it becomes something one, not only to have a lot of fun around, but also talk around the challenges around that. Uh, for example, um, in the black community, hair is extremely, extremely important to the culture. It signifies so many different things and so many different complexities. Yet for black women, we know that they have been ostracized. They have been fired. Um, they have been um, felt um, made to feel less than if they wear their hair in its natural state, which for many black women are, um, you know, what we refer to as kinky, right? It's a coarser text, um, texture, curly. Um, our hair has all kinds of texture within the black community, like all other cultures as well. But the nuances around that, uh, and that when we even talk about challenging behaviors and we start looking at uh, the children who are being expelled and suspended, a lot of people don't realize that preschoolers, that that three, four, and five-year-olds get suspended and expelled uh, probably three times as much as elementary to high school put together, hmm. which is astonishing in yes. and of itself. Yes. But then when you look at that, the majority of those suspensions, expulsions are children of color specifically, not only, but the majority of them are from the black culture. Mm. And when you start looking even further, when you think about um, black boys and, and black girls, and you think of the proportion that they're getting expelled at in, in relation to uh, the other cultures or ethnicities or races within that same population, it's disproportionate. And many black girls actually get suspended or expelled due to their hair. That's amazing. Right? So it, it is when you start really thinking about it, and again, the complexity, 
um, little black girls, when they go in, they go in with their hair full out, whether they're in braids, you know, um, or um, have beads in them. And because a lot of times, just because their hair is so fascinating, other children like to touch on them mm. or maybe pull on them. And then there's a tussle. And then what happens is that a lot of times it lands on um, the, the little girl as the, the black child, as opposed to other children. And so it gets really, really interesting when you start talking about these things. So in addition to hair, I have everything in there from washing clothes, right? How often do we wash our clothes, right? How often do we wear them? Do we change them when we get home from work so they can be worn, you know, multiple times? Is it they go right into a, you know, a hamper? Get bathing. Um, growing up, how often do we bathe? With some of us, we grew up bathing once a week. We all shared one bathroom. We were in a cold climate. Whereas in other places, say Hawaii, for example, you bathe, you know, sometimes two or three times a day, depending on if you went to the beach or how hot it is. So when we start talking about the, the nuances, and I have the card set up so that we talk about your beliefs around the topics, your perspectives, what are the taboos that has to do with it, or identities that relate to the topics. It's this low pressure or low risk way of stepping into cultural humility, starting to talk about these nuances. And then how I work with teams around it is I start asking them after they have these conversations, how does this show up in your interactions with others? Hmm. And, and that's great. Deidre, do you, so do you find that having these cards with these simple topics actually makes it easier for people to engage in conversation? It does. It does. And the reason for that is um, it, things like politics aren't in there or race isn't in there. Uh, money isn't in there. And again, many of us, right, grew up saying, hey, you don't talk about these things in polite company, right? Um, so that's actually going to be an additional set of cards that I'm working on. So we'll step into some of those harder conversations um, as we as we progress. But this is a great first set because, again, they're, they're low risk. Mm -hmm. And so they, you can have a lot of fun around it. And then as you get comfortable, start moving into and having those deeper conversations, which is why I then lead to how does it show up or how do you think it impacts? Because that's the piece that we often don't think about and that we just take it for granted because it's it's invisible most of these things we just do them and do you feel like using these cards and having these conversations because bias is such i mean understanding bias what it is how it shows up how we all have them i think is so critical i think about it often in the space I'm at, I'm in as a people mm -hmm. leader at an organization, um, because so many times people are just completely unconscious of it, yes. right? And so yes. I'm wondering in having these conversations, have you seen like people have light bulb moments where they're suddenly like, oh my gosh, of course. So I have to say, when you were just talking about the hair, at first I felt a little confused, like, gosh, why would little black girls be suspended and we can link it back to hair. Like, why would that be happening? As soon as you said, 
you know, kids are sort of mesmerized by it. They want to touch their hair. The hair gets a lot of attention. And then the little girl probably defends herself and then is labeled the aggressor and is suspended. And then I started thinking about how, wow, like the message that this child is getting um, so early probably starts to stick, right? And then you can just see the problem carry on, you know, through, throughout their life. And so anyway, that was a, a sort of a light bulb moment for me just listening to you talk. But do you see adults um, have these light bulb moments around their own bias using these cards? Yes. And I'm going to use you as an example. So that was just what a, a minute and a half yes. conversation yeah. around hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and look at all the things that led my mind to Yes. Yes. And so I can guarantee you, Sam, as you go out and you start um, looking at, you know, black women and black little girls, you're going to see them in a very different light going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, It probably helps you get into that compassion space that we talked about, right? Absolutely. And we always say this awareness is key. Right. And, and initially that's where cultural competence first started, you know, to be aware of other cultures, but why we're shifting to cultural humility is because just being aware of others' cultures um, to a certain degree uh, is great, but it's certainly not enough, especially if we're not even aware of our own culture and our own biases. And we all have them. There's not a person out there who doesn't have some type of bias in a way, shape, or form. So we need to get over this discomfort around even saying that word because we're, we're human. Every single human has a bias. It's being aware of those biases and again, staying in the impact. What is the impact of my bias on, on others? Right, and it typically leads us right into the you know the conversation around what's happening today and this perfect storm in terms of the pandemic, and then all of the racial tension mm-hmm. on top of it. Um, there, there's been good and bad um, both sides when you look at it in in terms of the pandem- pandemic per se there has been so many what we call blessings there's also been very very terrible trauma around it in terms of the the death and the worry and being scared and um everything that that comes with it and also knowing that at no time before in our history has the world come to a complete stop yes like this it's just historical and not just a few people or a region, but the whole world has come to a stop. And because we have not been able to go out and and um, distract ourselves like we normally do, we've had to live with our thoughts. And so you have people in deep, deep, deep reflection now because they only have themselves, mm. right? And, and their families, and there's good and bad along with that, too. We have lots of people saying, I've never been so close to my family. We've done things we've never been before. Finding new and different ways to connect and, you know, and, and using technology in ways that we never thought of before. And the same with our racial, racial tension right now. And the reason I say it's a, it's a perfect storm is because 
Um, in terms of what's been going on out there and when you think of systemic racism, that's been around, I hate to say it, it's been around forever. Yeah. Uh, but why it's a perfect storm now is because we're in a place where we can't get away from it mm -hmm. because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. you oh can't my gosh. Yes, you're so right. And the, the piece that you just said about, you know, and I want to, we're going to take one more break, but when we come back, I really want to dig into what's happening and racism and some of your own experience and thoughts around this. But mm -hmm. I think what you just said about you know, the world came to a stop for the first time, you know, ever in our lifetime. And it was, it triggered a lot of things in people, you know, fear, worry, control. It also, as you said, put us into a space if we were willing, again, back to being willing, right? If we were willing to take that stop, um, stopping time as a, an opportunity to do deep reflection, I think there have been some major transformations and shifts and I'm really seeing it happen in um, the way that we think and talk about work. And I'm seeing it happen in family units. I'm seeing it happen even just in the um, entrepreneur space, particularly female entrepreneur space. Like w women are um, starting to, at a time where there's a lot of fear and maybe a tendency to retreat, I'm seeing a lot of women actually double down and say, mm -hmm. you know, and find their strength and say, this mm -hmm. is the time. Um, so I think there are so many amazing things going on. And also, as you said, we are in a perfect storm. Um, but what I want to talk about next is that this perfect storm that we're in, um, to me, we're in a time where it's impossible to look away. Yeah. And so, right. And so that is probably a good thing. Um, so I want to talk more about that, but let's take a quick break. Okay. And then when we come back, we'll dig into that and, um, and finish out our show with a bang. Sounds good. All Thank right, you. everyone, you are listening to the Imperfection Wins show on KKNW 1150, and we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's me, Sam. Many of you know that one of my greatest joys in life is handing out small, perfectly imperfect wooden hearts. That's right, I said perfectly imperfect. These are the words that came to mind when I held one of these handmade hearts in my hand for the first time. These beautifully crafted, imperfect hearts are made by my friend Gary. Fate brought us together and ordering hearts from him and giving them to anyone who needs one has been a joyful part of my journey. The hearts serve as a physical reminder that things don't need to be perfect to be meaningful. Check out my website, samwilling.com forward slash imperfect hearts for the whole heart story to place an order or make a donation. 100% of the proceeds go towards the mission. Don't forget that samwilling.com. All right, everyone, it's time for our second small business highlight. You know, this is a hard time for so many small local businesses. And now more than ever, they need our support. And one of my favorite places to hang out is Belding Cafe in Bellevue. Now during normal times, I have most of my meetings outside of the office there. I do work there. 
I love to walk there with a friend and sit and enjoy their amazing coffee and food. But one of the reasons I love Belden so much is that they set themselves apart from other coffee shops by being incredibly community focused. The owner, Claire, has very intentionally partnered with several nonprofits. She creates special drinks for them and gives a portion of the proceeds to them. She promotes them on social media. She often donates pastries and financially to other nonprofits in the area. And recently, she actually started partnering with a local flower farmer whose business essentially stopped due to COVID-19. So Claire started bringing in the farmer's flowers and selling them on Fridays and Saturdays. They are so beautiful. She's selling out most weeks. And honestly, it's one of my favorite things to do during this quarantine is just go grab some flowers for loved ones and have a killer cup of coffee. Now I know in Seattle, you have choices when it comes to coffee, but please go give Belden a shot. You will not be disappointed. They're doing online ordering and curbside pickup right now. And I just know, you know, from the beautiful relaxed vibe in the store to the homemade nut milks and avocado toast, I know you'll love it. Just go check them out at BeldonCafe.com and swing by for an awesome cup of coffee and just a great community experience. Again, that's BeldonCafe.com. Make it a great day. Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to the Imperfection Wins Show. I'm your host, Sam Willing, and we are back with Deidre Harris. And we are going to keep going on the topic that we just um, were, were covering before the last break, which is really some the systemic racism and a lot of the um, ways that right now, you know, more so than ever, we are at a time where racism is right in front of us as a nation and we can't look away. And yet there are people who are still choosing to look away. And so um, it's a it's a really turbulent and really important time in our history. And Deidre, I know that you have so many thoughts on this. So I'm just going to give you the mic. And will you just talk about what's happening in our country right now and your your thoughts around it? I know you have your own very unique experience um, being biracial. So you, I'm just gonna gonna give the mic over to you and, and let you take it away. Sure. So um, I I am biracial. I am black and I am white, and I am actually fourth generation. Um, biracial within my family, meaning my family has been biracial for fourth generation and my children um, are fifth generation. So we've been in this world of both black and, and white forever. It's the only world I ever have known. And so it does give a, give me a very unique perspective in that um, I've been, I've had experiences in both worlds where I've been accepted and experiences in both worlds where I've not been accepted. And so it it does make you really kind of step back and say, okay, you know, re really what's going on, this isn't white against black. It's actually much, much deeper than that, much deeper. And what's interesting is that being part of a interracial marriage where my husband is white, um, 
we used to talk about this all the time, especially as we first got married and, um, and the impact it has had on our marriage and on our children and the decisions that we've made around that. And what was really interesting is that uh, growing up biracially um, and having dark skin, I look black, identify as a, as a black woman, um, I didn't realize how, how invisible racism is because it was just something that happened. Mm -hmm. And I know that people don't understand that, but I want you to think about it from the perspective of now marrying a white man and him and I being in a space together where he comes back and he's just having a fit. He is just angry and enraged and I'm trying to figure out why. And he is the one that noticed we had been mm -hmm. treated differently or he had been treated differently because he was with me and it was, we used to enrage him. And that's when I would know that there was some type of, you know, racism that, that occurred. That's so interesting. So it was almost like you had, you'd been conditioned or, or just gotten yeah. through that. You that just, that's the way it is. Yeah. Right. So if people don't understand just how un invisible it is, unless you experience it. And as he experienced it, right, then he would become enraged. And one of our decisions to move um, to Hawaii was because we wanted to raise our a very diverse multicultural world. And uh, racism, it's just, it's, it doesn't show up in Hawaii like it does over here in the mainland because it's so many different cultures living in a tight space. The way they live with each other is truly, truly um, beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so it's been interesting for both myself and my husband and my children upon re-entering the mainland, the experiences that we now have that we haven't had for 20, 20 years. Mm. And having the conversation as a, as a family around our experiences, and especially in light of the, the racial tensions. And so there's this um, analogy that I heard, and I'm gonna try and do it justice. So this is me paraphrasing and, um, and trying to put it into perspective, but it's called 1000 Mosquitoes. And the reason I love this analogy is that when we think about bias or implicit bias or racism, think of it as a, um, a mosquito bite. We've all had them. They're annoying. Um, sometimes we can see that mosquito and we kind of slap it away. Some, a lot of times we don't, we don't see the mosquito, but we feel the impact afterwards. So we've all been there. So now I want you to imagine having a thousand mosquito bites and it's covered all over your body and every day you go out you get more of these mosquito, mosquito bites some of them are bigger or some of them smaller can you imagine that mm. after a while you just you would go crazy yeah you'd be angry and you would be rageful those damn mosquitoes right and so when we start thinking about that, that's the experiences for many of our people in the black community. It's like having a thousand mosquito bites that just won't go away and not being able to opt out. Meaning say you're, you're living in um, the woods where these, you know, cause typically how many of us would walk into, you know, woods or something and 
and see these all of these gnats and, and mosquitoes and would live in that space. But for many of us, we don't have the option of opting out because those mosquitoes go where we go. Yeah, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And so what the difference is, I think that many in the white community doesn't understand is they have the option to opt out of the conversation. Mm -hmm. They can say, hey, this makes me too uncomfortable. Um, I, you know, or I'm not, um, I'm not a racist. And what they don't understand is that's not enough to not be an opt on, on uh, a racist, because basically what you're saying is, hey, um, I'm not going to be one of those mosquitoes, but I'm totally okay with you getting eaten alive by all the rest of the mosquitoes. Yeah. Do you see what I, the, the yeah. difference is there? Yeah, I do. And I think, you know, it's interesting because earlier in our conversation, we talked briefly about being willing. Yes. You know, we, we were talking about being willing to show up. Yes. I think this is like what you're saying is so important because I think through just my own journey and having a lot of conversations and, you know, really working hard to educate myself and my family, what I'm finding is that you're right. There is still an option at any given time for me to opt out. Right. I can say, you know what, I have, I'm, I'm turning off the news. I'm shutting out the noise because it's overwhelming to me. I'm tired. Um, I really care about what's happening, but I just can't take anymore. Right. And, uh, you know, or I just busy myself, you know, and I, and I stop intentionally doing the work around anti-racism. And I think that's a really important point because what I do find just through conversations is that there is, um, we are being pushed right now to, you know, I keep seeing these posts about like, there's no neutrality here. Like you either right. are or you aren't. Right. And it, I think there is still a lot of tension around um, people not being willing to really look at what right. the issues are. And I think that willingness and the way that you just put it about the mosquitoes and, and basically saying, you know, I'm not going to be one of the mosquitoes, but I'm okay with you being, you know, bitten by all the other mosquitoes. Like that is such a, um, such a good analogy, I think, because that we are, we are in a place where we can't, we, we have to choose. Right. Right. Um, and again, we've heard it a lot out there nowadays that science is complicity. Yes. And, uh, and many of us have been in that, that space of silence. And, and hey, I get it. Um, it's very, very uncomfortable space because along with that willingness comes the accountability. Mm -hmm. And it, it kind of takes us back to the, the idea of the thought of white privilege, which again, if you're in the white community, it's very hard to understand yes. that you are benefiting from, um, from just the nature of your skin you don't get it because it's invisible unless it unless you're in a situation where something happens and then you're like hey you know what's going on very much like my husband and that would be the conversations that we had mm -hmm. he knew he was being treated differently 
But previous to that, he had had this experience and this expectation of the way he wanted to be treated, the way he expected to be treated. But yet being with me, it was, it, he was, you know, those dynamics would come up that were very negative. And, and so, him. yes. And so there's, um, recently I saw the movie, it's called Thug. And um, in it, it had just this great phrase, which was so powerful that I just really like to share with you and your viewers. Oh, and again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna paraphrase it and probably won't do it justice, but it goes something like this. One of the characters in a movie, um, and he was um, either, he was a black man. And he said, it's hard to go out unarmed when the when my skin itself is seen as a weapon hmm. right so that's how deep and invisible is and i want you to imagine if you had a weapon in your hand and you stepped out of the door and you walked around the neighborhood you went to stores you you know you went out to have dinner how do you think people would react to you they'd be scared absolutely yeah. And, would and would treat you very differently. Yes. Now, I want you to imagine that that gun is your skin. You cannot opt out yeah. if you are Black. You don't have the luxury of opting out. And so as hard as the conversations are, there is this accountability that comes with it of, you know what? Um, even though I, again, I may not be actively contributing to racism, I am actively benefiting from racism. Mm -hmm. Unless I step into in action and say, enough is enough. Yeah. And by no means do I want people to think that I'm minimizing what's happened in the black community and other, you know, minorities. It's not just black, but within the black community, that I'm minimizing by saying it's a thousand mosquitoes bites. I'm just trying to do relatability there yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of the intensity and yeah. the um, and the frequency and the duration. It's like at the minute you step out of the door that, you know, there are mosquito bites. Yeah. And it might be, and for me um, personally, it might be going in a, into a store and being watched or followed by security, tracked by security. That's a relatively, yeah. you know, little mosquito bite in the scheme of things in my experience. Right. As opposed to, and I certainly, my experiences have been much less than many others in the black community. So I recognize that too, but also recognizing that I too have been pulled over by the police for uh, not an infraction. And as part of being pulled over, realizing that initially being irritated, because I was like, oh, why am I being pulled over? And why, um, and ah, you know, am I gonna get a ticket to moving into fear when that police yes. officer got out of the car and, and questioning? I, yeah, I mean, I think, oh, we gotta wrap it up. I'm okay. getting excited for Benny. I can really <laughs> talk about this forever. Yes. Um, okay, everyone, I am going to post all of Deidre's information on my website and put the podcast out on Thursday. I hope that this show impacted you. We could have talked forever. It's so important. The message is there's no opting out. There's a call to action. Educate yourself. There's no opting out. 
I can't wait to see you all in season three. It's gonna look a little different, but I'm confident it's gonna be really impactful. And until then, be kind, have courage, and give yourself and others grace. Have a great Monday. Thanks, Deirdre. You're welcome. Thanks, Sam. Pleasure. Okay.